Uh, good to see you again. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so if it's your very first time, I want to welcome you. We do this every week. And inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out and help you follow along. And uh, if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. God, we just thank you for what you're doing at church, just ex- ex- uh, the excitement that's uh, mounting. It's like every week, you just sense it. We're coming here expecting to meet with you. We're meeting with you. Our lives are being changed. We're growing, and, and it just creates this hunger to come back, and let's grow some more. And so as we continue this journey, this epic journey we're on, uh, I pray you give me just great words that would be clear, helpful, uh, fun, uh, life-inspiring, uh, challenging, everything that that needs to be, that I pray most of all that you'd give us hearts to hear and listen, and that as you're speaking, you would speak to us, and, and we would know uh, what our next step in this journey is. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this journey that we've been on in this uh, series. It's called Epic, Living the Vision. And uh, I always like to take just a minute or two at the, at the beginning because we have like new people every week. And so if, I know for some of you over here, like all the time, you're like, yeah, we know this thing. You know? But it's like I'm not really doing it for you. You should tune out. Um, I'm doing it for those who are brand new. You know? It's our first week. And it's a little intimidating coming to church. And it's a big church. And we want to bring them up to speed. Does that, that sound fair? That's not, okay. No, not really. All right. So um, anyway, so this series uh, is really a series that's based on a letter from a man named Paul, Apostle Paul to a group of uh, Jesus followers that are centered in a major metropolitan area of the ancient Roman world. It's uh, an area, it's modern-day Turkey, um, and at the time, uh, it was called Asia Minor. It's the the capital of this major province, and so the town's Ephesus, and uh, about 250,000 people in in this city. And so uh, in this letter, Paul is laying out kind of God's epic vision for all of human history. Uh, and to bring all of creation healed and restored back under the leadership of its true king. And uh, in the first series, we called it Epic the Vision. Uh, we really delved into that vision. What is God's vision? And we, we learned that when we come to Jesus, we find out that we have been chosen before time began to play an important role uh, in, this whole, in this whole plan, this whole thing that God's doing. And so when we get to chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, Paul turns a corner, so it's really practical, and says, okay, so now you understand this incredible vision God has for your life. It's truly epic. What does it look like to to live it out every day in everyday life? And so today we we actually come to a brand new section of Scripture, section of Ephesians. It uh, starts at chapter 5 and verse 3. It goes through verse 14. We're going to be here for three weeks. And with a new section comes a new metaphor. So in the last section, we, we used, talked about a couple metaphors Paul used. We talked about the school of Jesus, and we talked about uh, putting off and putting on like old clothes to new clothes. And so we, we learned that if we're going to follow Jesus, live an epic life, we're going to have to learn to rethink our whole approach to life, enter the school of Jesus, come under his leadership as our rabbi, put off the old, put on the new so he can be transformed and become the people we're created to be. That was the whole metaphor, right, for, for all those weeks, seven weeks ago. This new metaphor that's going to control the next three weeks is a metaphor of light and darkness. You see it often in the Bible, right? But Paul's going to bring it out. And what he's going to say is before you came to Jesus, uh, you were not only living in the dark, uh, you were dark. Uh, You were darkness. He says, but when you come to Jesus, something supernatural happens at the core of your being, at the the very center of your being. 
that you go from darkness to light. It's like someone's turning the light on. Or I think a better analogy would be, it's like the sun, you've been living your life in the dark, your whole life, and the sun begins to rise. And he says the key now to live, moving the future and living out this epic life is kind of walking in the light of that new day. And uh, he's going to talk about multiple topics in this section, but the first one on the table is sexual purity. He says that if we're going to walk into the future that, uh, and experience life that God has for us, we have to learn, kind of put off our old approach to sexuality, put on our new approach, uh, and not just in uh, what we do, but also in what we think and what we say. And so uh, if you have your Bibles there, why don't you go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 3. If you've got your uh, apps, let's go ahead and turn those on. And uh, we're going to go today, we're just going through the first, uh, we're going to go through uh, verse uh, 8, I think it is. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I'll change that. So, uh, so we pick it up at verse 3. He says, um, among you, you know, as followers of Jesus. Now remember, these men and women had come at an incredibly sex-charged, uh, very promiscuous uh, ancient Roman culture. This is their world they lived in. And we're going to talk more about that later. But they, they, had come, they, they hadn't grown, these people had not grown up in church. Right? These people had not gone to synagogue. These people, when they went to church, had sex at church. Uh, they would have uh, temple prostitutes. Uh, that was kind of part of church life for, for many people uh, in the ancient world. So very sexed culture, over sex culture. And so Paul says, okay, now among you, you're the new people of Jesus, the new community of Jesus. Um, he said, among you, catch this, he says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. He's going to say, well, it's just part of the darkness. He says, or any kind of impurity or even greed. And we'll talk about greed in two weeks. He says, because these are improper for God's holy people. You're new people. The light's dawning. We need to leave the, old, leave the past behind. He says, and it's not just a matter of what we do with our bodies. It's what we say in the area of sexuality. Our words matter. He says, uh, nor should there be any obscenity. Um, it should mean foolish talk or coarse joking. So think uh, sexually charged language, uh, obscene language, sexually charged, sexually explicit language. Uh, I think of sexually suggestive language, double entendre, that sort of thing. Uh, dirty jokes, all that whole thing. He says, that, that's kind of part of the past. That's part of the darkness. And we'll talk about more on the why. And he says, but rather there should be thanksgiving as followers of Jesus who have understand this epic vision, what God has called us to, who we are. I mean, our lives should just be full of wonder. And like, God, I can't even believe it. You know, we were singing those songs today about, you know, you, you've, you've broken every chain. Uh, and I was just thinking back in my life, I just moved to tears, the chains he's broken in my life, right? And he says that, um, your, your life should not be characterized by dirty talk. It should be characterized by thanksgiving. And then he goes on, um, and he says, uh, he tells us why this is so important. And I want you to catch this. This is pretty profound. He says, for of this you can be sure, like take it to the bank, that no immoral or impure or greedy person, and again, we'll talk about greedy always, such a person is an idolater. That's an interesting comment. He says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? 
That's pretty strong. Right? Now, he's not talking about past. They'd all, they all had a past like that. He's talking about your past. He's saying that if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, so let's talk about what you're saying. You say, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. What you're saying is that you've come under the authority of King Jesus. That's how we enter the kingdom of God. By, as Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is in. So how do you enter the kingdom? You repent and believe. It's not just believe, it's repenting. It's coming under leadership of King Jesus. So he says, if someone claims to be part of the kingdom of God, they claim to be under the leadership of King Jesus, but they're living in kind of blatant sin, and that doesn't seem to bother them. He said, we got to disconnect here. Something's not right. Um, Now, I don't think what he's saying is that as followers of Jesus, we never have temptation. He's not saying that as followers of Jesus, we will not be drawn to the dark side. We know we will. He's not saying that even as followers of Jesus, we will never fail in these areas. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is, is if this is the tenor of your life, that you're living in sexual immorality, you're pursuing a life of greed, he says, and, and that's who you are, and you justify that, and it doesn't bother you. Obviously, you've not come into the kingdom of light because you're full of darkness. Right? So we'll come back. Okay, so he says, so uh, verse 6, he says, so catch this, let no one deceive you with empty words. He says, there are going to be people out there that say this, and I'll, come, I'll say this phrase several times today because I want to drive it in. There's people out there that will say there is no relationship between your sexuality and your spirituality. He says, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to come across, he says, there are going to be people out there that say what you do with your body doesn't really matter. As long as you believe in Jesus, as long as you believe the story, maybe you prayed the prayer one time, received whatever the thing is, there's going to be people say that as long as that's the case, then it doesn't matter what you do with your body, that what you do sexually doesn't impact you spiritually. And Paul says, uh, be careful, don't be deceived. He says, here is the reality. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And that word in the Greek is a little word called kenos. And it means um, like full of nothing. Uh, so it's like, you know, like, you know, like when someone says, you know, you, someone makes an accusation, you, you got nothing on me, right? Uh, when, when someone says, makes an argument, you go, man, that doesn't carry any weight. That's like kenos. It's vain. It's empty. It's like, it's, it's, just, it's not true. And he says, um, so let no one deceive you with empty words because of these such things. What things? The sexual morality, the greed, and so on. He says, God's wrath comes, catch that, present tense, comes on those who are disobedient. He says, no, no, this is a big deal. And he says, uh, when you pursue the dark side, when you pursue um, sexual sin, when you pursue impurity, um, when you pursue greed, he says that there's a judgment that comes right here and right now. That, that there, God has designed the universe in a certain way. When you violate the way it's designed, it's going to tear, tear you apart. And then, of course, when Jesus comes back, there'll be the full wrath of God for those who have rejected the leadership of its true king. If you reject the true king, it's high treason. And if you reject that offer of amnesty, all that's left is a sentence of hell for that rejection, right? So, so Paul says, hey, 
anyone who's selling you this is telling you a lie. Don't be deceived. And so then he goes on, and he, he comes to, uh, he says in verse 7, Therefore, don't be partners with them. He says, I know you came out of this lifestyle, but you can't go back. And then he comes to our key verse this whole three weeks. For you were once darkness, but now it's all changed. At the core of your being, you're a new person. He says, now you are light in the Lord. And the catch is, live as children of light. And in the Greek, that word for live is actually the word walk. Paul will use the word walk seven times in Ephesians. And walk in the Bible often refers to the way we approach life, our approach to life. It refers to our relationship with God. It's comparing our life to a journey. And so what he says is that, hey, the sun of righteousness is, is starting to rise in your life. You can see the path to life. Walk as children of light. Be who you are. Not be who you are, be who you are. You've been changed at a core level. So don't let your past define you. Listen to what Jesus has done in you and be who you are. Leave the darkness behind. All right? So that's the passage. So, so Paul says that, um, Paul says that uh, if we're going to live an epic life, that uh, we need to pursue the light. That, and, and kind of a first step of that in our lives is leaving sexual impurity behind. So topic on the table today is sexual purity. And what I want to do, starting from this passage and kind of fleshing it out, is I want to kind of hit four critical principles for us on this whole area. And I think it's so incredibly important because we live in a very sexually charged uh, uh, culture, don't we? Uh, you cannot drive down the street and, and, and not see uh, products that are selling everything with sex. You can't drive through the valley without uh, hitting on gentlemen's clubs or, or kind of topless places. You cannot uh, turn on TV and not see uh, Ill, uh, illicit sexual scenes being played out in front of you. You can't go to a movie. It has become the norm in our culture. Uh, we have a culture today is saying, hey, this whole thing about same-sex relationship, we've had it wrong forever. This is the new rules. And so we live in a, a sexually charged culture that is coming at us 24-7 and saying, you know what, uh, everything is okay. Whatever you do is okay as long as it's consenting partners. As long as that, as long as it's not with kids, it's not with animals, we're good with pretty much anything else, uh, you know, because we have a heart for the animals. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, anything else goes, right? And we live in this culture, right? And it's increasing, and you deal with this every day. You, you go to work, you deal with this. If you're a, a single Christian today and you're getting married, people are going to ask you, how is he in bed? They're going to ask you that. And if you tell, well, we're waiting till marriage, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Right? They're going to look at you like, where did you come from? And then it's like, how could you ever do that? How could you even think of marrying someone without knowing if they're good in bed? How crazy is that? That's a culture we live in. And it's surrounding us. And it tends to infect us. Like we tend to pick it up, you know, pick up on it. And whether it's in pornography or the way we talk or the way we approach relationships or what we expect. And so incredibly important topic for us as Jesus followers. And Paul says, if you want to live an epic life, we have to get clear on this whole area of sexuality because it's not like a peripheral, it's really a core issue of following Jesus, all right? So what I want to do is kind of break this down 
uh, and hit four principles uh, that uh, I think flood of this passage or are uh, kind of at the basis of this passage. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called uh, Epic, The Path of Purity. And uh, I want to start with one that doesn't really flow out of this passage in the sense that Paul doesn't say this, but I want you guys to just Paul assumes this. Paul, writing this letter, assumes this. And it goes like this. Sex is a good thing. Now, the reason I want to start, I feel like any time I ever teach on sex, this is where I have to start. And the reason is, is throughout Christian history, and you may have experienced this in your life, that there have been Christians that have said, it is not a good thing. That you need to limit yourself, and uh, it's kind of a necessary evil. Some of us have grown up with that message, whether it's verbalized or uh, kind of between the lines. And certainly in secular culture today, if you went up with some, to someone at your, your job or uh, on the street that wasn't a Christian, and you said, hey, what do you think the Bible says about sex? They would probably say, it's bad, don't do it. Right? That's kind of the common uh, assumption. And nothing could be further from the truth. Here's what I want you to catch. Paul, as a Jew raised in Jewish culture, Jews were very big on sex. They still are. Uh, Friday night is Shabbat. Friday night is the night. Right? So you light the candles. You have a little bit of wine. Right? You see where this is going. Right? Uh, and so Jewish culture, based on Jewish scripture, the old, very positive. Paul had grown up in that. Jesus, very positive. He was a Jew. He grew up in Jewish culture. Jews, very, uh, very big on sex, very positive. And so Paul is coming out of a Jewish background. It's where he's speaking from. He's kind of assuming this. And so it's interesting, even in this passage, you see this because, uh, not here, but later on in chapter 5, Paul is going to use one of the most powerful illustrations of God's desire for relationship with his people. And it's probably the most profound, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but profound illustration of the relationship between Jesus and his people. And guess what it is? It is the sexual union of a man and woman becoming one flesh in marriage. This is, his, this is God's image of his vision for his relationship with people is the marriage supper of the Lamb. See? Two becoming one. And so the Bible is big on sex. God created sex. He knows how to make it work. He's the one who designed it. The designer always knows how to make things work the best. And so Bible very big. But here's what the Bible would say. And I think I just want to clear the deck here before we go into this passage. What the Bible would say is that sex is a very powerful gift. And that it was given us, the purpose of sex was to do a couple things. And first of all, it is to bond, to becoming one. Remember that? It's to bond two people who are committed to one another for life in a relationship of love. 
and commitment, what's what we call marriage, to help bond them together in such a way they create an environment where children can be brought into the world to grow up in a safe environment, stable environment, where they can learn that mom and dad love them, God loves them, God loves them and they can, the parents can teach them the path to life. This is the vision. This goes back to Genesis. It goes back to the first man and woman or the first king and queen of creation designed to rule over their kingdom and to raise up children in a in beautiful environment of love and affection and commitment. This is God's vision. And as followers of Jesus called to live epic lives, this is what God is taking us back to. Uh, and so what the Bible says is that sex is a powerful uh, a powerful experience designed to bond. But what it says is outside of that relationship of love and commitment, it is very destructive on both a personal level because there is a bonding and a ripping and a bonding and a ripping and a bonding and a ripping that robs our soul. And so when we're having sex with someone who's not our lifelong committed partner, we are ripping them off. They do not belong to us. That does not belong. We are taking something that God designed for someone else, and we are ripping them off for personal reasons, whether that's uh, uh, more the more stereotypical male reason of, I want what I want, and I don't need more explanation, right? Or whether it's, the, I want the love, I want the uh, affection, I want the connection, right? That it's a ripoff. It's, it's a, it, it is an act of violence against love. And so what the Bible would say is that sex is much like fire. Fire is an incredible gift. Nothing better on a cold winter night. It doesn't happen here. But like, imagine, New Hampshire. Uh, cold winter night, snow outside. Nothing better. Glass of fine wine. With your wife or girlfriend sitting in front of the fire. Lights are turned low. The warmth of the fire the beauty of the evening, the glow of the fire, nothing better, right? But let that same fire that was designed for a fireplace jump out into the carpet, and it can burn your life down. And so there on your note sheet, I put a quote from Arch Hart. He seems to be my person of quotes these days. But uh, Dr. Archibald Hart, famous psychologist, says, given its intensity, our sex drive can lay waste to everything in its path, including honor, reputation, families, virginity, fidelity, chastity, good intentions, lifelong promises, and spiritual commitments. Sex is like a fire. It can warm you or it can burn you. And that's the message. It's a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. Keep it where it was designed. Right? Okay, so... So, so having laid that foundation, because that's all, Paul's assuming all that, right? He's not going to teach on that. He's just assuming that other places will teach on that. But here's just kind of assuming it. And that leads to number two. And so what he says in this passage is that sexual purity is a non-negotiable. Now, you remember in our last little section in chapter four, we talked about this was forgiveness. We said that forgiveness to the follower of Jesus is a non-negotiable. It's not optional equipment on the spiritual life. The same could be said of sexual purity. Uh, and you see this, you know, look at ch chapter 5 and verse 3. Let's look what he says. 
He says, among you, followers of Jesus, there must not be even a, what's the next word? A hint of sexual immorality. We, we do not mess with this. We, we don't mess with porn. We, we don't mess with sexual innuendo language. Unless it's our spouse, then it's a lot of fun. Uh, we don't, um, what else do we know? We, we, we don't, <laughs> not my notes, not my notes. Uh, it's in my heart, it's my, my, not my notes. But uh, anyway, uh, he said, we, we, don't, we don't mess with that kind of language. But, like for us, that's darkness. It's destructive. It's evil. It's polluted. It will destroy. We don't mess with it. We're Christ's followers. We pursue the light. That is darkness. Right? So he's kind of helping us understand. Now, here's what I want you to catch. That for Paul, Paul is not making this up. He is building on the teaching of the Old Testament on sexuality and the teaching of Jesus, as we'll see today. And so let's go to the school of Jesus and let's see what Jesus says. There in your note sheet, famous passage, Matthew 5. And he says, you have heard it said, Jesus is teaching. And he says, you've heard it said, um, do not commit adultery. So Jesus is teaching on sexuality. It's on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you, you've all grown up this. We've all gone to synagogue. We've all gone to synagogue school. We've all heard this. It's one of the Ten Commandments, number seven. Uh, this is what we've all heard, don't commit adultery. And so Jesus is affirming the teaching of the Old Testament. Don't go outside of a marriage to get sex. Right? So we're, we're, he's affirming that. But now watch him, he's going to not just reaffirm the teaching of the Old Testament, he's going to raise the bar for his followers. So in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it was said, uh, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, here it comes, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what does it mean to look at a woman lustfully? Um, I, I don't think it's that that woman caught my eye or this went by or she scantily, you know, it's like it catches your eye and you let it go. Uh, what, what he's really talking about is that I would if I could. Uh, any, anyone uh, been around, uh, guys, I mean, you know, this is just the way it works, right? It's like uh, you're going to see some construction workers. Every babe is going to, the cat calls or the comments or whatever. It's that sense of, uh, it's almost like mentally undressing the person with, with the eye. It's that sense of, it's fantasy. It's like what we would call it fantasy today. And Jesus says, hey, when, when you are undressing someone, when you are, I would if I could, in your heart, at a heart level, you've, you've already crossed that purity line. Right? And so Jesus catches, he says, for my followers, um, I, I want to change you at such a core level. Not only you don't, at, you don't pursue illicit sex, but you don't want to. You're changed. You understand. It's like moving from, from darkness to light, you know? Uh, there's a reason like bars are so dark, right? People look better. Right? Uh, hey, turn on the lights and like, yeah, yeah, I'm losing it here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, right? So we come to Jesus, right? And the light's turning on and all of a sudden what looks so natural and looks so like, yeah, that's the way to go is suddenly like, that's not quite right. 
That's not looking right. And he says, Jesus wants to change us from the inside so that when the light goes on, we go, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Like, this is destructive. Not a good thing. And so he says, uh, he says, already committed. Now, it's interesting because Jesus goes on, and I meant to give you the next couple of verses, but they're not there, but I'll just tell you. Jesus goes, he says, therefore, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. And if your right eye offends you, pluck out. He said, because it's better to go into the next life maimed than to go to hell. So what's he saying? He's saying, like, this is important, and you need to figure this out. This is, not, this is a non-negotiable, this whole sexual purity thing. Um, now, as Paul goes on, we've already seen 5.3, no hint, but what you'll see in Paul's letters is because, remember, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Peter's apostle to Jews, but Paul is primarily, his audience is Gentiles. And so when the Gentiles come to Christ, they're coming out of this very promiscuous culture. So what you'll often see in his letters, he's addressing this issue. It's kind of a first step of following Jesus, and he's often giving great teaching on what it is and why it is. So I think of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, we don't have time, but great teaching on why, why we don't have illicit sex. 1 Thessalonians 4, there's different passages. But I want you to look at a one, well, the one there in your note sheet is 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul kind of builds on this teaching. So let me set it up. Before you look at the passage, uh, let me set it up. Paul has gone to Thessalonica, which is a major city in Greece. He shares the message of Jesus. People start coming to Christ, but there's intense persecution. So he's only able to stay for a few weeks and then has to run for his life. Okay? And so there's a new little church that's, that's born there. Now, he's writing, uh, but while he was there... He taught them how to please God. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And what the will of God is? He gave them some basic instruction in, those first, in the few weeks that he had with them. Okay? Brand new believer, here's some basic instruction. Now he goes away. He's writing a letter back, 1 Thessalonians, just a few months later. They're brand new Christians. And when he gets to chapter 4, he hits that practical section of the letter. And he says in verse 1 there in your note sheet, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So he says, when we were with you those few weeks, we gave you instruction now as a follower of Jesus how to please God. And he said, uh, now we ask, you know, in this letter, we urge you in the Lord Jesus, you know, coming from him, you do this more and more. So in other words, that teaching we gave you, you'd continue to pursue it and get better at that following that teaching, grow and that sort of thing. He says, because you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So the instructions we gave, we're not making you up, we're it's the school of Jesus stuff. And so he says, so, so here we go. So it's God's will. Now, he's talking to these new believers. He, he says, I want to talk about pleasing God. This is what I told you before. So it's God's will. So it's in there. Like, what's going to come next? What's God's will? What, what's the big thing you want to talk to us about? He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, which uh, means, uh, uh, you know, set apart, purified. Can I get, get rid of the, the crud? You know, purified, like a pure stream. You take a uh, stream that's been polluted, by companies, you come and you clean it up, you purify it, it's made it holy. You made the stream holy, you made it pure. And so he says, um, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now catch what he says. The Lord will punish man for all such sins, men for all such sins, 
as we've already told you and warned you. So in the three weeks he was there, he tells them, hey, don't do this. And if you do this, you're going to get punished. And I'm warning you, don't go there, right? That God will hold you responsible. And you're saying, Mike, I thought these were Christians. I thought when we came to Jesus, our sins were forgiven. I didn't think God punished us. It's like, well, you got it wrong. When you come to Jesus, you're born again. You have a new father, and your father loves you very much. And those whom the father loves, he disciplines. And so Paul says, I I warned you about leave it. There's going to be a consequence for this. There's going to be pain. There's going to be things that come into your life. And he said, I warned you about that. And then he says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, catch this, he who rejects this instruction about sexual purity, he does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. His what spirit? Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, hey, listen, uh, remember we talked about the Holy Spirit? That's not his first name. You know, spirit, last name, spirit, first name, holy. No, Holy Spirit is if you're going to define the Spirit of God and you only have one word, that's the word. He's completely pure. Everything's good, right, and true. He's holy. There's nothing wrong in him. There's nothing evil. There's nothing destructive. There's nothing damaging. There's nothing polluted. There's nothing evil. He is the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you came to Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to make you holy. To take out the impurity, the pollution, the evil, the destruction. To make you like Jesus. And he says, so if you reject this teaching about sexual purity, you're not rejecting my thoughts on this. You're rejecting the God who gave you his Holy Spirit and called you to be a Christian. You see? This is a non-negotiable. This goes to the heart of being a follower of Jesus. In, in our culture today, we can get very lax about this. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. And well, everyone's doing it. Times have changed. Wait, whatever the thing is, I know lots of Christians who. I, and that leads to number three. No, it doesn't. Go back to number two. No, it does. Okay, yeah. At least everything. All right. Let's write the first time. The third principle is that some things never change. Now, this is interesting because what Paul says is that he said, hey, be on your guard because I promise you there will be people into your life, who come into your life who say this is no big deal. I promise you there will be people that come and say that there's no connection between our sexuality and our spirituality. That's going to happen. Um, and, and, and often when this happens, what people often say is, well, you know, times have changed. You've probably heard that before. Are you serious? What, are you living in the 50s? You know, like times have changed, you know. What's what the Bible says? Well, times have changed. And there's almost this assumption, and can I tell you, it's an assumption of total ignorance that the first century was kind of unschooled in this. That the first century didn't really get sexuality. That maybe it was uh, more conservative or something. 
And so now we're, we're wiser, we're smarter. We've got modern research that, that we kind of understand because we're, we're very liberal and we're very experienced in sexuality. They, they weren't. Can I tell you that nothing could be further than the truth? The reason why in the New Testament there's so much teaching on sexuality, the reason in the New Testament that almost all the sinless start with sexual immorality, the, the reason is because the ancient world was one of the most sex-charged and promiscuous cultures in human history. Um, we just read 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Uh, Paul says, uh, you know, this is the will of God, how to please God, sexual purity and so on. You reject this, you reject God. Um, I was reading a commentary uh, by a famous scholar, pastor, author, one of the most famous Bible uh, kind of pastors of the 20th century. His name is John Stott. And, uh, and this is what John Stott says about the first century. And just, I put it, I, it's long, but I put it, I want you to catch this because it's so important we're clear in this. He says, um, he's, he's commenting on 1 Thessalonians 4, the passage we just read. It's God's will that you be sanctified. It's the first thing he says. He says, uh, it's not surprising that the apostle begins with sex. Remember, he says, hey, this is God's will. This is the instructions. And that means, first he starts with sex. He says, it's not surprising he begins with sex because of the sexual laxity, even the promiscuity of the Greco-Roman world. In Corinth, Aphrodite, the, the Greek goddess of sex and beauty, sent her servants out as prostitutes to roam the streets by night. Hey, this was their form of evangelism, <laughs> you know? Like, hey, meet these girls from my church. Uh, you should come and join our church. It's what we do. Um, it's awesome. Um, so, and then it says uh, in Thessalonica, which of course is where this letter of Paul is being written to, on the other hand, was a particularly associated, uh, was a particularly associated with the worship of deities called the Kabiri, and whose rites gross immorality was promoted under the name of religion. Okay, so, so catch this, in the ancient world, uh, that often you would go to church, it would be, maybe it's the temple of Aphrodite, which at one time, probably not in New Testament times, probably earlier, was serviced by a thousand prostitutes, a thousand temple prostitutes, it's up on the top of the hill, uh, and so uh, you would go to church and you might have sexual prostitution as part of your religion. There were many mystery religions, um, that had all these sacred rites and so on. They often involved sexual orgies as, as part of their, their rites. Okay? So, um, in fact, this is probably why in the early church, Christianity was often accused of incest because they would talk about loving their brothers and sisters. Right? And, that, and their mindset was, well, I'm sex with one another. You know, they're, they're brothers and sisters. Crazy. Um, and so that was the ancient world. And he says, uh, it, it may be doubted, however, whether Corinth and Thessalonica were any worse than other cities of that period, in which it was widely accepted that men either could not or would not limit themselves to their wives as their only sexual partners. So in other words, it was just part of culture that, yeah, of course you're married, that doesn't mean you want to have sex with your wife, right? And so F.F. So F. Bruce, who's one of my favorite scholars, um, he sums up the situation he says, here's how it was like. A man might have a mistress who could provide him with intellectual companionship. He could have a, the institution of slavery made it easy for him to have sex with his slaves, a concubine. Uh, he could have casual gratification with, from a harlot, you know, a prostitute. 
And so the function of his wife was to manage his household and to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. That's the world. He is homosexuality rampant. You know, Plato would talk about, you know, sex with boys. Very common in, in Greek culture. The Caesars, often bisexual. Everyone knew it. This was the ancient world, this idea that times have changed. Yeah, they've changed. They've gotten a lot better because of the influence of Christianity. The influence of Christianity was like a fresh breeze blowing across the ancient world. They'd never seen anything like it that totally transformed the morality of the Roman, uh, Roman culture that still influences us today because we're still living on the coattails of this Judeo-Christian ethic that our country was once uh, largely formed on. And so then the next line says, in, the, in his history of European morals, William Leckie paints a lurid picture of sexual license during the early period of the Roman Empire. Indeed, there has never been a period when vice was more extravagant or uncontrolled than it was under the Caesars. So this idea, hey, times have changed. Uh, No. Uh, There's some things that stay the same, and sexual purity is what. And so what Paul is saying, and here's what I want you to catch. Paul is saying is there will always be people in our life who'll come and say it's no big deal. And I want you to see this. Look at uh, 5, let's go back to 5, 6. In 5, 6, he says, let no one, what? what's the next two words? Let no one, let's say them out loud. Let no one deceive you. Let's say it again. Let no one deceive you. Men and women, do you understand? There are people around us constantly who are trying to deceive us. Every time you go to the office, every time you turn on the, I mean, you, every, almost every song on popular music is about having sex. You go to uh, movies, you go to media, you go to internet. There is a constant movement in our culture to tell us that if you don't have sex on a regular basis, there's something wrong with you. It's unhealthy. It's, you know, like you might die or something. Something bad is going to happen to you. Uh, This is just not normal. You know, this is like eating. If you don't eat, you're going to shrivel up and die. You know, it's like if you don't have sex, you know, we are constantly surrounded by this message. And Paul says, let no one deceive you. He said, it is a lie. It's empty words. You look at a culture, you look at our culture, and what has happened since the sexual revolution hit in the 1960s. Our culture has been devastated. Homes have been wrecked. Lives have been destroyed. STDs at epidemic proportions, unwanted pregnancies, abortion, killing our babies. This culture is coming apart of the sink. We are losing our identity. We now see transgender. We are now coming on the verge of seeing our gender as an option. Can I tell you something? We have not only lost touch with who God is, we've lost touch who we are. We don't even know if we're men or women. And our culture is coming apart at the seams. And we are losing our way. And Paul says, let no one deceive you. 
on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And anyone who says there is no relationship between our sexuality and our spirituality is not part of the kingdom of God. And as the church of Jesus, we have to recognize this. If we want to live epic lives, we got to throw it down on this issue. If we're going to live it, we cannot, mess, we cannot mess with pornography. You cannot do it. It is a corrosion to your soul. It's like putting acid in your body. It will corrode you. You sleep around, it will destroy your soul. You will lose your sense of self one step at a time. And when you eventually do get married... The problems it's going to cause is you're making love to your husband or your wife and there's 30 other people in your mind or 60 other people in your mind. How do you get rid of those memories? Those memories aren't just, oh, you know, I'm married now. Boop. No, they're there. And if she's better looking than your current wife, if he's more of a hulk than the guy you're married to, it, how do you stop your mind? Man, this tears, this tears people apart. And Paul says, it is a lie, and don't let anyone deceive you. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming. Why? God's wrath is never arbitrary. God hates what is evil and destructive and perverse and polluted and self-centered. He hates what destroys his creation. And he hates immorality. Not because he's prudish, but because it is destructive. Number four. This is an interesting one. I love this. Um, it goes like this. What we say really matters. This is interesting because we've talked about Jesus and what he said. When Jesus said, hey, I want your purity to begin with your mind. I want to start there. I want to change in the inside of you. And we saw what Paul said about our bodies. And how our, in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you take your body of the Holy Spirit, the temple, and you, you have sex with someone that's not your spouse, you're combining your bodies, and Jesus is always in it. You're taking that in there. It's like that your, your body is sacred. Your body is the temple. The Holy, you don't belong to yourself anymore. The God has invaded your body, and your body belongs to him. And, and so our minds are important, and our bodies are important. But Paul says here, our words matter. And I want you to see this in 5.4. He says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, it's out of place. Um, Paul says, it's not just our minds, it's not just our, it's not just our, Bodies, it's our words. And you say, well, why? Why? It's because words are powerful. Words have the power to build or to destroy. We saw this in the last section, back in chapter 4. Um, there in your note sheet, I put the verse there. Paul said, don't let any unwholesome talk. And then the Greek, the word is like rotten, like rotten fruit. It's only a wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for what? 
building others. So words can build up, words can take down. Our words are powerful. This is one way we're like God. God speaks and creates. Guess what? We don't have the same in the same way, but our words create. They build up. They, we're in the image of God. We speak life. We speak death. We build up. We tear down. And Paul says, okay, so let me give you an example of that. In this area of sexuality, it's important our words build up. Don't tear down. Uh, and so in the community of Jesus, he says, you know, like you don't want to use these kind of obscene things. You don't want to use the sexual innuendo things, the flirtatious sexual innuendo, you know, the double entendre, stuff you could deny. Oh, I didn't mean that. You know, kind of double meanings. Um, the dirty jokes, the sexually explicit or suggestive. He says, I don't do that because, why? Because it creates an environment where you see people as objects. The man becomes a hunk. The woman becomes a babe. This community of Jesus, we love one another. We care about, we don't want to rip off one another. We, we want to build each other up. You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. You're not an object. You're not someone I lust after. I want to take what's not mine. No, I, I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going to seek your best. I'm going to build you up. And Paul says, these words are destructive. They create environments that tear people down. And so he says, as a follower of Jesus, like, don't use your words in a way that destroys. And it's interesting because I've seen a trend in certain Christian circles that there's often a tendency to kind of ignore this very clear teaching on this. And I think I understand why. I, I think there's a sense which um, sometimes Christians have been very prudish. Sometimes Christians have been very uh, legalistic. Um, and so there's kind of a reaction against that. And hey, I'm free in Christ, and so I'm, I'm going to celebrate my freedom in Christ, and I'm going to do. And so uh, words aren't really what I, you know, it's just a word. Words, you know, what is a word? It's just a word. You know, word, words aren't anything. So words don't mean anything. So, so uh, I'm going to let a few F-bombs fly uh, just to show that I'm free in Christ and I'm authentic and I'm real. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm not like those legalistic, judgmental Christians, you know, those effing Christians. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, I, I'm like free in Christ. I'm, I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. And I think often it's from the best intentions. It's like, you know, we want to be authentic or whatever. I'm all for that. Um, and I think it's often a reaction against the kind of Christian that's super uptight and irritating. Have you ever met people like that? It's like uptight Christians, you know, judgmental and, you know, rule keepers and, you know, that kind of. Um, and they're just kind of irritating. It's just kind of a tweak them. Let's just tweak you, throw out a few words. I, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. But, um, but here's the thing. Um, Paul says, hey, um, that, that's not, that's not going to build the community of Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't do positive things. Um, I, I think that sometimes, uh, one of the things I love about the Bible is it's so real, and it's very earthy. I wish I had more time to... Spend on this? I don't, but I think of Paul's comment. Talking about circumcision, the circumcisers in chapter 5, I think it's Galatians, and they want to circumcise everyone to get saved, and Paul says, I'm sick of these guys. I wish they'd go all the way and just cut themselves off. <laughs> I don't know about you. I love that. I just like, <laughs> I just like, 
you go, boy. I, I, I just, I love that. You know, I, I could, oh, my gosh, you know, you said darn, you know, that's really came from damn. And, you know, like, eh, you know. I, so I get the thing. I, I love that the Bible is so graphic. When it talks about sexuality, have you ever read Song of Solomon, Mixed Company? Whoa, you know. And you know what? The translators, they don't even translate it accurately. It's so graphic. They're talking about the guy's penis is like an ivory tusk. <laughs> you know, translators aren't going gonna to translate that. They're just going to stay away from that, you know? And so, I, so, are you with me here? I love the Bible. And I love that David's going to step over here and he's going to take a piss. I love the Bible, you know? I, I want you, I want you, I, I love it's just real and it's down to earth and it's, it's not like, you know, churchy. I love that, right? Paul says, that's fine. Paul says, that's fine. Hey, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about obscenity. I'm talking about sexually suggestive language. I'm talking about sexually explicit language. I'm talking about obscene language. Words matter. And our words should reflect the reality of the epic calling of our lives. And so we should be people who are positive. We should use words with intent that build and don't destroy. And so Paul says, hey, we don't live an epic life. Man, the son of righteousness, we'll talk more about this next week, it's really cool. Son of righteousness is it's rising in your life. And for the first time in your life, you're making out shapes and figures. And he says, hey, so be who you are. Be the light that you are. You are the light of the world. Be who you are. And one of the first steps is we're going to turn away from Sexual immorality, whether it's in our minds, it's in our bodies, or it's in our words. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, I think of that song, your glory is so beautiful. And it is. Um, When we see you, all our misconceptions about what it means to follow you that seem restrictive or old-fashioned, they just fall away because we just realize how they're just lame. We were just in the dark, and we were just kind of believing what everyone told us, but the light is shining, and we can see things for what they are, and the freedom that comes, and the beauty that comes. Your glory is so beautiful. And God, we pray that you rise on us this week and the next two weeks. We pray you rise on us, the son of righteousness, and that you would rise on us in this church and we would see the truth about life in brighter and brighter hues and colors that we might run passionately after you in this future that you have for us. And we pray as we worship you now, as we bring you our gifts and offerings, we pray you'd meet us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. And Jesus, you are good. And so that goodness, you give us such clear instruction on the path to life. Don't mess with this. It may look good. It may be tempting, but there is a price to pay. That forbidden fruit may taste sweet in the mouth, but it's going to be sour in your stomach. And it's going to bring havoc to your life. And we thank you that you are so good and you are under that goodness you tell us the path to life. And God, I'm so thankful that you're so good that when we sin and when we rebel and we don't believe you and we go down the wrong path, you are willing to forgive us based on your life, death, and resurrection and give us your Holy Spirit who's able to empower us to live a pure life. 
God, I just thank you for the work you did in my life in this. God, I know what it's like to be unholy. And I know what it's like to experience your power. And God, so many of us in here, we could share that story that there was a time before and there's a time after. And God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, those especially that maybe right now they're struggling, they're caught up in pornography or they're in an illicit relationship or this is taking hold of their life or they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend justifying it's a smart thing to do they're pursuing a life of kind of active homosexual lifestyle and trying to pretend it's really okay it's how God made me they're in the midst of an affair and I think it's okay because I'm not happy in my marriage and whatever the thing is God we need your power This is a hard thing to break free, God, and we just want to claim your power, and we want to ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. God, and we just pray that all over this room, that chains would be broken, that you'd be speaking, wooing your people back, letting them know you love them in spite of what they've done, that you love them and you want to set them free. God, I pray you bring resources in their life, friends, books, celebrate recovery, whatever it is to break those chains. God, we want to run into this future, this new day that's dawning. We don't want to linger back in the darkness where we didn't even know what we were stumbling over. Life was not working. We didn't even know we were stumbling over because we couldn't see it. You have begun. You have changed us to the core level. We are not the people we used to be. Through Christ, we are now light in the Lord. And so, God, we rise up our true identity, and we leave the darkness. And we ask for a fresh anointing. So we pray you'd pour out your spirit on us as a church, that we would truly be holy as you are holy. For this is our calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, May the Lord be to you everything that you need him to be. And if you're struggling with this area in your life, I want to remind you of his word says is that We have been given everything we need for a life of godliness in Christ Jesus through our relationship with Jesus. That the lie may be you can't beat this or you've tried before, but the truth is you are not darkness. You are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Be who you are. Forget the lie. Hold on to truth. Be who you are. Amen. 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 Now, if you need some prayer for this or anything else, we always have people up here on my, my far right by the wall to pray for you. They'd love to pray for you. I hope you'll be back next, next week to an amazing service. Um, I'm fired up about the message already. I'm, I'm like knee deep, almost done. And it's going to be about light and darkness and what happens to us when we come to Jesus. This organic change that happens. And uh, I think it's going to be strong. And uh, I think it's going to speak to you and encourage you and who you are in Christ. And then we're going to baptize people. Lots of people. I don't know. We, we got uh, already, this last week, we already had 20-some. You know, so we'll see how many show up for that night, how many come. You know, uh, but I know we've already got at least 14 from the Saturday night. So we are going to be excited 
uh, because we're going to be sharing their stories, and they're going to be sharing their stories, and it's an amazing time. So uh, we're going to be celebrating uh, these people that have become light in the Lord. Amen? Amen? God bless. Have a great week. See you next weekend.